This WebmasterRadio.fm program is made possible in part by the following. Today's forecast calls for 6 to 12 inches and temperatures will only be in the teens overnight, so bundle up and... Imagine, you're planning your end-of-year reports, planning for next year. What are you going to do to monetize more in 2011? We're going to have clear and sunny skies with a perfect day of weather for everyone coming to AFCON 2010. Warm up your marketing strategies this December in our winter oasis for affiliate marketers. AFCON 2010 Florida, December 8th through 10th at the Fairmont Turnberry Isle Resort in Aventura, Florida. Sign up now at AFCON2010.com. That's AFFCOM2010.com. The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Feeling better? Looking better? Making life better? It's Life Tips. Life Tips. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Life Tips Show, everyone. Happy to be here. I'm here with Marisa McLaren. Welcome, Marisa. Thank you. You are the owner and webmaster of the website foodinjars.com, a fabulous site that I've been browsing and poking around on. I'm happy to have you on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about your site and your, your mission in life? Absolutely. Well, my site, Food in Jars, is a food blog, essentially, devoted to um, teaching people how to do things like canning, preserving, baking, um, making things that they would typically buy at the grocery store and doing it themselves, making from scratch. And my mission is just to teach people to can, to get them reconnected with a skill that used to be sort of um, assumed. People used to know how to do this stuff, to preserve food and put it up for another season, and it's just one of those things that we've lost along the way. Hmm. I wanted to ask you the first question out of the gate, which is a paranoia I have um, with Mm -hmm. regards to um, you know, canning, canning things and pickling things. Is there loss of uh, nutritional value through that process if done properly? There is some loss of nutritional value, but cooking also um, lose, you know, makes us lose some nutritional value. So, um, you know, if we all li- could handle a raw food diet, that's probably the best way to go. But um, I feel like it's the trade-off is worth it in terms of knowing what's in your food, um, having a connection to where it came from, because typically when you're canning, it's something that you've either grown yourself or you buy from a farmer you know or um, you picked it yourself. So there's a deeper connection, and I feel like that makes up for any loss in nutrients. You have quite a few comments on most all of your posts. Just incredible following your site. Congratulations for that. What do you attribute this you know, sort of fanatical uh, approach to reading your blog posts and commenting. You know, tell us about your your, your fans and, and how you've helped develop them over the years. Okay. Well, um, I think, you know, a big part of it is luck. I know that that's probably not the most helpful um, comment, but 
I, I think I was at the right place at the right time. I started the site in, um, it was March of 2009. 2009, yes. And um, there wasn't really anybody else writing a site dedicated to canning and preserving at that time. Mm. Um, a bunch sprung up right about that same moment, but I was one of the first ones in. So I feel like that gave me the opportunity to sort of become one of the primary voices in that area. Um, I did look to see if there was anyone in that area before I started. I Before I started Food and Jars, I was the editor of Slash Food, which is AOL's food blog. And so I had spent about two and a half years participating in food blogging and knowing what was happening in the area. So I had a fairly good handle on what existed, what was popular, where the um, sort of holes were, and um, that that was a large part of why I started Food and Jars. Now, I also just happen to be very interested in the subject, and so I think that's the other part of why people come to me, is that you can tell from reading that I am passionate about this and that I am very interested and engaged in food preservation, on making things from scratch, on um, being more aware of the seasons and trying to eat within the rhythm of seasons. And I live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, so, you know, we're sort of limited in terms of what comes, what's available at certain times of the year. So um, being active in preserving the peaches and the strawberries is a way to extend that harvest, and that was very important to me. So, uh, you know, it was a twofold thing of being aware of what was happening in the marketplace and finding a a niche for myself and also happening to be very passionate about that niche. Hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about the, the market size? How many canners? Is that a word? <laughs> I don't know. It, it is a word. How, um, how many canners I, honestly, are there out there? I don't really know how many canners there are. I, do, I can tell you that um, the Ball Corporation, which um, the people who make all the canning jars say that their sales were up 40% this year over last year, and I think wow. they were up something similar to that last year as well. So um, right now the market is booming, and mm. I would say 75% of my readers are people who are who had just started this year who or who haven't even canned yet, who just like the idea of it and are contemplating dipping their toe into it but haven't gotten to it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you that my traffic this summer um, – at at my peak, I got nearly eighty thousand um, unique hits in a month, um, which translated to about one hundred and sixty five thousand page views, which was my biggest traffic uh, period ever, and felt fairly significant for something as sort of niche as canning. Wow, that's remarkable. What do you attribute that fast growth to? Just organic success, and, and obviously, you're probably not paying for traffic to your site. No, everything that comes to me is organic. Um, I have a Facebook um, page that has been fairly instrumental in Mm -hmm. helping me drive people to me, but the the growth on that page has been completely organic as well. I haven't paid for any Facebook ads, and um, that page has nearly 4,500 people following it. And so I try to post um, every new post I write. I'll publish it there and to my personal Twitter account and to the Food and Jars Twitter account in the hopes of driving some traffic to me as well. And I, it's been very successful. Really fantastic. Now, I noticed only uh, only really a fairly understated um, 
uh, Amazon, you know, a few products you've picked up on Amazon through an affiliate program, and, and you know, it looks like um, Google's running some ads, but it looks like you're not heavily into the monetization of, of, of the site, strangely no. enough. You know, no. it's, you're doing this for love and passion, obviously, which is really fantastic. I'm sure all your readers really appreciate that. Um, but but just tell us a little a little bit about you know do you have any plans to to try to monetize more or or actually make a living doing this is that something you've thought of? It is, and I would really like to. It's just been a matter of time. I also have a full time job in addition to running this website, and so it's really been the fact that there are only so many hours in the day, and I just haven't had the time to do it. And part of it is I want to do it well. When I do eventually monetize, I want to ensure that I do it in a way that feels um, honest and sort of holistic to the canning ethos that I have um, been chasing and working on. You know, I don't want to just smack a bunch of blog ads up there and say, all right, you know, here you go. I'd really prefer to do something along the lines of a, you know, sponsorship spotlight where, you know, I have a couple of carefully chosen sponsors that I highlight each month. And to put something like that together requires a lot more energy and effort. And I'm certainly willing to put that effort in. I just haven't had the time. And so I don't, I haven't really monetized the site well. Um, And so, and and that's why. Um, I do teach classes and I promote them on the site. Mm -hmm. And that's been a really effective way of um, monetization. Obviously, that is not a passive form of income and uh, requires a lot of energy and effort, but it's really worth it. I really enjoy teaching the classes, and everybody who comes to them leaves, at least they tell me, that they leave feeling much more excited and comfortable with the concept of canning. Has the site helped your participation and subscription to your class? Yes. I don't think that I'd really be able to suck classes out the way I have without the website. You know, it is the, the site and the Facebook page are my primary means of promoting the classes. I don't, you know, beat the bushes in any other way. So it's been instrumental. Tell us about the classes and how that's tying in. Well, the, so I'm teaching people to can on the website, and the classes are essentially an opportunity to spend a couple hours with me doing the same thing. And um, the great thing about the classes, you know, I'll, I focus on a recipe, whether it's... Um, strawberry rhubarb jam or applesauce or dill pickles, you know, I'll just have, I'll set up four or five classes per season and each one will focus in on a different recipe and I limit the classes to 10 to 12 people. And people sign up, they cost $45 a seat. I give, everybody gets to take home a jar of whatever we've made in the class that day as well as the recipe. And for the people who really just need to see it done, um, it's a great opportunity for them to be guided through the process. And I answer every question people have before they leave the class. I don't want anyone <laughs> to leave without and feel like they still have questions. And I give everybody my email address so they can email me afterwards if they have mm-hmm. uh, a question that comes up or an issue. So it's a very sort of service-oriented um, experience. And it has been really terrific. And, you know, it doesn't that doesn't necessarily build traffic, but it certainly builds goodwill and creates sort of boosters, fans for me, that mm-hmm. I think translate in the long run into sort of more love for the blog. I have to ask if you've thought about taking the class online. 
I have. Um, it's something I'd really like to do. In fact, uh, my husband and I used to make an online cooking show before I started this website called Fork You. Um, mm. And so we we have about 55 episodes that we made, um, and I really enjoyed that process and enjoyed the, and the, the different quality of the interaction you get with people when you make a video. And um, it's it's in the plans. Again, it's just been a matter of time. Um, my husband is the the video editor amongst us, and he is also he's a tech writer and has been writing a series of books about blogging platforms over the last couple of years, and so just hasn't had the time. Interesting. Well, you're so well spoken. I want to just thank you for for being on the show. Let's let's take a bit of a break here, and we'll come back after a few minutes and just ask a few more questions for you. Can't wait to learn more. Back in back in a jiffy, everybody. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know they're SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. What is this? Why is my website not ranking higher? Well, sounds like you could use a link building report from SEOFox.com. What's that? You can't rank without good backlinks. And SEOFox.com's link building report lets you enter domains and compare their backlinks. It gives a detailed report that shows you why each domain ranks where it does, and it reduces the time it takes to find more links. With SEOFox.com's link building report, you can find more links, use their search marketing services to find more links, or better yet, they could even build your own backlinks. So you think you're pretty sly with that SEOFox link building report. <laughs> sly like a fox. Get your link building report today at SEOFox.com. That's SEOFox.com. CEO Coach. Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Culture and Business Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. And now, back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back, Marisa. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yes, thanks for making the world a better place, one can at a time for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask you <clears throat> about the complexity of canning in general before. I've got some other challenging questions for you, but how hard of a sport is this to get into? You know, it's actually far easier than it gets credit for. Um, people typically have the idea that you have to buy a ton of equipment to get started canning, and honestly, you don't. There are just a few pieces you need, and most of the time, if you have a fairly well-equipped kitchen, you'll have them already. Uh, one would be a cooking pot. It needs to be either stainless steel or 
enamel lines, you just want something that is non-reactive um, because most everything you're going to be canning at this stage is going to be a high acid food, which means that if there's a lot of acid in it, it will react with pots like aluminum and create a, a metallic flavor in your finished product. So you always want to make sure to use a non-reactive pot. The second thing you need <clears throat> is a pot to do the processing in, and that can be a stock pot. Uh, you just need something that's deep. So like if you're someone who does a lot of crab steaming or lobster cooking, you know, you can use those big old like speckled enamel pots. So you just mm-hmm. need a pot, one pot to cook in, another pot that's deep enough to hold the jars and have about an inch of water above them. Beyond that, you you need a wooden spoon. Most people have that in their kitchen. Knives, cutting boards, things like that. Um, it helps to have a wide mouth funnel, and that is that is a sort of a specialized piece of equipment, and a jar lifter, which is also kind of specialized. But you can always use tongs. The wide mouth funnel and the jar lifter just make things a little bit easier. But that's really it. Like that's the extent of the equipment, and then your jars and. Uh, most grocery stores these days have a small canning section or hardware stores. I've seen it at Target. Um, I know that, like, this summer Lowe's was carrying jars. So they can be purchased at a variety of places. And that's it. Um, And I mentioned high acid a minute ago. There's kind of two schools of canning. There's low acid and high acid. High acid is most of your fruits, pickles, chutneys, things like that, Low acid are vegetables that aren't pickled and meat and um, sort of squashes and things like that. And so for the low acid foods, you're going to need a pressure canner. So those aren't really foods for beginners, but fruits, pickles, things like that are super easy. And um, I've got a number of recipes on my site. I can also walk you through like the basic steps of canning if you'd like. I well, there's a lot we could do. We have maybe five or ten more minutes, but oh, one of the well, things that I wanted to ask then. you about, just from a practical perspective, and that, by the way, yeah, it might take an hour and a half. So, we're <laughs> <laughs> um, with all of your vast knowledge, and we would want it all. So, I think we just all need to sign up for your online class, basically, when when, when that's go. ready for us. We'll get back on the air and announce that to any any guests when that happens. <laughs> but but um, the. What I wanted to ask you about is a classic problem. I, first of all, I, I love food and I love cooking, and I've, I yeah. have not entered the world of, of canning and, and preservation, um, but I can't wait uh, to do that. Um, partly because I'm uh, hoping to garden soon as well, and, and you know, do make the classic mistakes of planting, you know, 30 tomato plants and not knowing what to do with all these tomatoes <laughs> yeah. because they all probably all grow with all the wonderful fish oils and other things that my my gardening friends have turned me on to. So I'll, I'll be faced with that challenge and that problem. But my my question was was regarding, um, you know, either uh, canned uh, products or preserved, you know, um, uh, products in, in in the famous glass glass bottles. Um, and knowing when there might be a problem, I have a lot of canned products on my shelf um, that I've picked up in farmers markets over the years, and I I can't even remember when I picked some of these up, but. I just love supporting local farmers, so my eyes and you know are a little bit bigger than my than my desire to consume all of this. When do I know there's a problem, and how can I check for things? Well, typically, if there's a problem in the jar, and this is again with those high acid foods, which are often what you're buying at farmers markets, you're buying like mm-hmm. ketchups or jams or things like that, right? 
Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Um, Tamales. Yeah. So Pickles. The, yeah. The, um, if there's a problem in the jar, it'll typically be some sort of bacterial growth or yeast growth. And when those things grow, they off-gas. And eventually they will break the seal on the jar. And mm-hmm. so you should never, ever eat a jar where the seal is broken, where mm-hmm. if it just comes, the lid comes off easily, if there's no sort of suction sound when you open it. Um, it. And obviously you should never eat something that's been home canned if when you look at it, it looks off. You know, maybe it, it's a funky color mm-hmm. or um, it's growing something. Obviously that's a sign that you shouldn't eat it. But as long as the people who canned it know what they're doing, and they make sure things are sterilized. They follow the processing step, which is that boiling the filled jars in your large stock pot or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it should be safe. Um, mm-hmm. I do steer. There are certain things I do steer away from mm-hmm. when buying other people's home canned products, mm-hmm. and those things are the meat products, soup. I, I li- living here in Philadelphia. I'm fairly close to Lancaster County, and so there's a lot of um, the. Amish home canned goods for sale in my area, and I happily buy their jams or preserved fruits or pickles. I don't buy their soups necessarily or the canned meats because not knowing what the process was in order to put those up, um, it makes me a little nervous. But mm-hmm. as far as the high acid things go, you should always be able to tell because mm-hmm. here's here's the se- secret. Botulism, which is the, the big scary thing we all know about with canning, Botulism doesn't grow in high-acid environments, so mm-hmm. you will never kill anyone with a jam or a pickle <laughs> or a chutney or something like that. So you, you're not going to die from jams or pickles. Got it. That's actually a very a great tip and a great recommendation. Thanks for that. Um, maybe that's where I should start, particularly when I start giving it out to friends if it's something that might grow. What, what are the most pop, popular um, fruits, vegetables, meats, um, with regards to overall market share. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, well, in terms of like what people are looking to do, tomatoes are the biggest, I believe, because tomatoes are fairly easy to grow. And so I get a lot of questions about canning tomatoes. Mm-hmm. I posted a tomato jam recipe this year that mm-hmm. was incredibly popular. People, so many people made that jam and raved about it. And I'm I admit it's a good jam recipe, and I can't take credit for it. It was it belonged to a friend of mine. Um, so tomatoes are huge. People are always looking for pickles, and one of the exciting things about pickles is when you have your garden surplus, you can pickle just about anything. <laughs> so people love that. They're like, I have leftover um, snap peas or string beans. Mm. What do I do? Pickle them. And so mm. that's really been a popular thing, too, is just sort of the general hey, you can use this pickling brine on just about anything. That's, that's interesting. Let's talk about the pickling process, and I'm particularly interested with, um, with, with you know, a pickling, say, fiddleheads, which happen to be my f- absolute favorite uh, of plant. I believe it's a plant, not a vegetable. I have to check mm. on that. You might know the, the answer to that. You know, I don't know for sure. I think you're right, though. I think it might be a plant and not a vegetable. I know it's a fern eventually, which is probably a plant when it grows up, but tell us about pickling and and how complex it is, how easy it is. Pickling is very easy. It's essentially creating a brine, which um, is typically um, vinegar, so either a white vinegar or an apple cider vinegar, diluted never more than by half. So 
any recipe you see that calls for you to water your vinegar down by more than, so it would be like a one-to-one. You don't mm-hmm. want to follow that recipe. But any recipe that's one-to-one or has more vinegar than that is perfectly safe. And essentially what you do is you put some spices in a jar, you pack your jar with whatever vegetable you're planning on pickling. If you do uh, a fiddlehead, you'd probably want to blanch it first, just give it a quick cooking, um, and then you pack them into a jar and you pour your brine over it. And a brine is typically that vinegar, water, and salt. You heat that up so that salt dissolves, and then you put a lid on it and process it. And the processing is just boiling those jars in your big stock pot for anywhere from 5 to 20 minutes, depending on what you're pickling and what the recipe is. Typically, with pickles, it's at the shorter end of the time. And that's it. Hmm. What is boiling the jars accomplishing from a chemical perspective and a preservation perspective? It does two things. First, it ensures that the heat of the boiling water penetrates the jar all the way to the center to kill anything that might have floated down into the jar. So bacteria, yeast, um, any sort of anything that you don't want to be in there, anything that could spoil the jar. And then it also um, makes sure that there's enough heat in the jar so that when you take the jar out of the water, the oxygen escaping from the jar will, the heat and the oxygen escape, and that creates that airtight seal. So as the heat escapes, it pulls the oxygen, and that pulls that lid down on the jar and creates the airtight seal that you need for preservation. And... If you were to undercook something or overcook something, what would happen? Well, if you overcook something, it just won't taste very good. If you undercook it, you might not get a seal, which is why it's always important for home canners to check their seals after they take the jars out of the canner. And essentially, it's very, with most conventional canning jars, you can tell by looking at them because it, the lids will go sort of concave. But um, once the jars are cool, you take the rings off, which are that the band, the screw band, you remove that, and then you just check to see how tight the lid is sealed. And as long as it doesn't move at all, your seal is fine. And so really, as long as you get a good enough seal, there's not anything, there's no undercooking, essentially. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about a favorite topic and subject on the Life Tip show, alcohol. <laughs> uh, um have you seen any interesting experimentations, and, and can you preserve things with alcohol? And I'm thinking here specifically about some of the rage of, uh, you know, in, infused um, vodkas, for example, um, you know, pineapple. and There's just a whole flock of infused. But, but can alcohol be a preservative, and can you use it for either canning, canning or uh, pickling or whatever you might suggest? Yeah, absolutely. Alcohol is a very popular um, way to preserve fruits. Um, there's a thing called bachelor's jam um, or rum toss, rum puff. It's, um, it's essentially over the course of a summer, you take a crock or a jar and you fill it with fruit. Or you create layers of fruit and you pour alcohol on top of it. And then as the next thing comes into season, you add a layer of that and pour more alcohol. And so there are histories of different cultures doing this to preserve fruit and um, typically it's saved for the holiday season, and so you drink the alcohol and eat the fruit around um, Christmas or New Year. There, You can also do more sort of single-fruit-infused 
alcohols. I have a good friend um, who did a rhubarb Everclear this year, and uh, she so she essentially had a bunch of Everclear. She steeped the chopped up rhubarb in it, and after something like two months, took the rhubarb pulp out, what was left of it, um, and sweetened it a tiny bit, and has this amazing sort of rhubarb liqueur that, mm. from what I hear, is pretty phenomenal. I've also, I have tasted, a friend did a, I think she did a vodka infused, vodka infused with strawberries, mm. and um, I got a taste of it last year. She lives out in Oregon, where I grew up, and my sister named it Jam Boozy, because it was like jam, only boozy. It was good. So <laughs> the sky's sort of the limit in terms of what you can do with alcohol and fruit. Hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about the deterioration process of the fruit itself in the alcohol? Is it? Can you can you over infuse, <laughs> and and can it get dangerous? Is there a deterioration of the product itself within the alcohol that 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 we should know something about? Well, the longer you leave the fruit in the alcohol, the the more the fruit will transfer is its essence to the alcohol. Uh-huh. So it really depends on whether you just want fruit with a taste of alcohol or if you want to encourage the fruit to give give its all to the alcohol. Uh-huh. So it it won't go bad. There's not a point at which it can get dangerous. You obviously want to make sure you keep lids on it um, in order to keep any sort of external crud from getting in the jar, but really it it's it's not going there's no there's no danger to it. Mm-hmm. You know, alcohol is one of the most potent preservatives there is. Mm-hmm. So um you can really do a whole variety of things. It's just up to you whether you want like for instance with my friend's rhubarb um liqueur, she strained all the fruit out of it and threw it away. It had given its all to that alcohol, and so there wasn't any sort of virtue left in the fruit, whereas um, recently I tried some apple brandy, which was just someone had chopped up a bunch of apples, put them in a jar, and poured brandy over them, and 